my friends, the great experiment. Surprise! <laughs> Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's the new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, feeling very two-dimensional today. Oh, yeah. That thing happened, like, at the beginning of Crimson Tide, where, like, I was out on holiday watching a magic show and my pager went off. <laughs> This is what happens when surprise Star Trek gets dropped. Vigo Mortensen was there for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I barely got a, a pager connection. I was up in Big Sur. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, I heard about this at all. I had to rush back to the studio, and here we are. I'm glad you got a little bit of summer vacation in. But this was important, and yeah. I think the plan is we're still going to have an episode on Friday as well. So uh, oh yeah, don't worry, everyone listening. We are adapting to this new normal with the rest of you. <laughs> yeah. What a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah, the uh, moving the release schedule up situation. Mm-hmm. Definitely something I'm glad that we have built a nimble enough organization to adapt to. Oh, yeah. We'd been conscious of the fact that we, you know, hadn't seen anything or heard anything about these screeners for a couple of weeks and had talked to Wendy a lot about, like, all the different possibilities and how we were going to deal with the screener when we got it, Mm -hmm. when we would record. I don't think any of us tossed out, what if they (laughs) pushed the entire release schedule up a week? No, that was never in the discussion, which (laughs) is what made me feel (laughs) safe to leave town. Yeah, yeah. Terrible decision. You should never feel safe, Adam. <laughs> yeah. I was on the road, like, I was at the steering wheel for 11 hours yesterday. Oh, my God. Because the coast highway was closed. Like, you can't come south out of Big Sur. You have to go north. Right. You have to double back almost an hour and then come back down. Wow. So that's what we did, and we had to go all the way out to Glendale to pick up our beloved Ripley on our way home. So, yeah, it was a it was a thing. Got back at like eight last night, watched a couple episodes before bed, <laughs> woke up early, and here we are. Man, I felt a little seasick once I got in bed. Like I was feeling the suspension of the car in bed. Yeah, I mean that makes a ton of sense. I had uh, not quite the harrowing day as you. But I was also late night watching these apps to mm-hmm. to prep mm-hmm. yesterday. We're recording this on Saturday morning, the day this episode drops. Yeah, it's going to drop at San Diego Comic-Con in a matter of hours. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I watch our baby on Fridays. That's one of my parent duties is I, mm-hmm. I'm full-time dadding it on Fridays. It is your duty to powder that booty? Yeah. I think powder is discouraged because of the, like, you don't want them inhaling that stuff. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But in the summer, I'm hitting the powder. I powder myself. I'm hitting the pow-pow, yeah. Ben. I'm just holding my breath. <laughs> That's yeah. what I need to do, right? Yeah. I'm I'm doing double black diamonds on that fresh pow. Yeah. <laughs> a line for me, a line for my nuts. <laughs> 
my wife and her two besties went out to the Tori Amos concert last night. Wow. So I was a full-time dad all day and then uh, all into the evening, which, mm-hmm. you know, usually at around the 5 p.m. mark when my wife finishes work, I uh, I throw the baby at her and go, like, play Switch for an hour or something and, like, decompress a bit. But... Uh, <laughs> I uh, had no such luxury yesterday, so I, you know, I got him to bed by like seven, and I watched my two episodes. And at that point, I was so exhausted, <laughs> I just went to bed. But uh, yeah, when she got up this morning, I had a bad bit moment with my wife. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me about that. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits. 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 I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. I was asking her about how the concert was, and she said it was nice, but Tori Amos was a little under the weather, so uh, her voice wasn't quite in its full glory. And I said, uh, did she have other relatives in the entertainment business? I'm trying to think. And and she <laughs> she said, I don't, I don't know. I mean, her last name does seem... And I said, I'm just trying to figure out if she's the only famous Amos. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. I got kicked out of the house. I think I'm sleeping out here in my studio tonight. That's good. <laughs> That's real good. <laughs> I like it. Anyways. You know what? She would be a fucking Nepo baby, you know, <laughs> off of that cookie fortune, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, who but the wealthy have time to devote to developing a very unique and compelling piano and vocal style, you know? It's true, yeah. <laughs> they have the leisure to to do things like this. Yeah, it's sad, really. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't get hip-hop without that famous New York blackout enabling people to go steal digital music production equipment. Sure. And it's like, oh, so, like, a windfall of resources to people enables them to open up their creativity and do something amazing and invent an entire genre of music? (laughs) The music genre you invented is going to change people's lives and inspire them. Hip-hop is a genre of music, (laughs) but also a cultural lifestyle encompassing breakdancing, graffiti writing, turntablism, and rapping. You leave your taped-up cardboard all around to dance on, (laughs) someone's gonna slip on it! (laughs) Clean those shelters or I won't redo your bar! Wendy is like absolutely dying right now because she's like just get to the fucking episode i have i have to edit over the weekend fuck you guys it's a very silly episode that i think needed a very silly open and that's what we've done here (laughs) ben let's get to it let's get to it already it's strange new world season two episode seven those old scientists you know the greatest danger facing us is irrational fear go fast kick it off with an Enton's log, and we are in the Lower Decks milieu. I had wondered how we were going to depict the combination of these two shows, right? Yeah. Like, if there would be a bunch of preamble or, like, myth-making about how a cartoon can mix with 
our real life characters, but I like just being dropped right into fucking Lower Decks on a Strange New Worlds episode. It's a Strange New Worlds episode, and we get the full Strange New Worlds like previously on, like here are some key things that key characters are dealing with. And then we're in Lower Decks, and they are at Krolmuth B to survey a portal. Yeah. Of course, Boimler, extremely excited about portal scanning and thinking about the those old scientists era. It's a classic Lower Decks mission because it's not like anything's going on at the portal. They're just there to make sure it's still fine. <laughs> still there? Still there. <laughs> yeah. Can confirm portal still there. <laughs> like they're doing the job that a boy could do. Yeah, yeah. The Cerritos has taken its entire starship ass to this planet so yeah. four ensigns can beam down and do a couple of scans. Yeah. In 120 years, this portal hasn't done shit. And so Mariner doesn't expect anything to happen while they're there either. Crucially, Mariner is in charge of the mission, claims to have sort of gotten this thrust upon her. But uh, the gang beamed down. We got Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford. If you watch Strange New World but don't watch Lower Decks, I hope this gives you incentive to to right that wrong. Yeah, you really need to get into it. Lower Decks, certainly some of the best of new Star Trek for sure. I'm not promoting it, though. This isn't a podcast about promoting new Star Trek no, at all. No, we review it. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> Just an absolute <laughs> metric ton of name-checking Uhura on this episode. Yeah, Uhura was cool as hell. In a way that felt uh, directly at us. Mm -hmm. We're doing our best to say the name correctly and say it the same every time. I do feel like occasionally on this show, you hear people say it the way we were saying it wrong before, so. I agree. You know. We're not the only ones messing up. Not that it makes it any better. I think it's important that we try. Absolutely. And to that point, they're saying some maybe not great stuff about uh, Orions on this episode, yeah. and Tendi has to kind of uh, correct them. You know, this portal was, in fact, discovered by an Orion science vessel. Mm-hmm. My great-grandmother was on that vessel. Proud tradition of science also among Orions. They're not just fuck machines that, you know, sell slaves and do piracy. Most fuck machines have other interests, right? <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of fucking. I think we can all agree about that. But there's also the other stuff. A good 50% of the Orion population has a refractory period, you know. Sure. The other half, totally insatiable. Why not do science and cigarettes during the refractory period? (laughs) Rutherford, very excited to discover that heronium is being detected in this portal. Yeah. They're doing impressions. That's fun. That's like us. Yeah, it sure is. Bad impressions, too. <laughs> like us. <laughs> Mr. Boimler, hand me that scanner. Oh, that's great. Is that your Spock? Yeah, I've been working on it. I had wondered how much time would be given to like the reintroduction to these characters, these Lower Decks characters to a Strange New World audience. And I think for efficiency, this cold open does a really great job in giving us that. Like all that we need. More than the bare minimum, I would say, because you know a lot about Boimler just from these early moments. He's a student of Starfleet history. He's, in many ways, like he wishes he could be a past person involved in the discovery of things instead of just the 
checking up on those things to make sure they're still there. And you get the same amount of backstory when we're talking about Tendi or, or Mariner or Rutherford. Yeah, I would say that Rutherford is the one that gets the least uh, attention here. Yeah. But yeah, like Mariner feeling like she's stuck with Starfleet versus Boimler feeling like he, you know, is totally obsessed with it and, and totally obsessed with the history and, you know, loves all those old scientists and all of that. Is really well done. These are these are super well established characters and well written. I thought they did a masterful job all the way through this episode, keeping lower decks characters lower decky and strange new worlds characters strange new worldy and mm-hmm. finding a way to blend the writing styles of two very different shows. Yeah, incredible bit of business here. Boims gets sucked when he's not expecting to be sucked and (laughs) usually that's a good thing uh it is not in this case (laughs) the portal activates and in goes boims right through the hole he immediately pops out the other side looking up at realistic spock and the rest of the away team and then we go to the opening credits, which has been fully reskinned in lower deck style. It looks great. It really does. And does it look better? <laughs> I wouldn't say it looks better. The art style is great. I love the inclusion of the nacelle sucker. <laughs> yeah, that's another that's unexpected fun. suck, isn't it? I love the space koala in the end. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. It's all in cartoon. And a really nice reveal at the end of this credit sequence is that this is indeed a Frakes episode, and it's written by Bill Walkoff and Catherine Lynn. Bill Walkoff is a guy uh, I met at a wedding not that long ago. No kidding. Great dude. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) He's also a strike captain and is uh, down at Television City just a bunch. He is doing just so much for the strikers out there on those streets every single day. Dang. I mean, he's sort of born into it, right? If the work conditions get intolerable, you got to walk off. You sure do. Yeah. That's good. I thought that there was something really magical about going from that cell animation opening sequence to the photorealistic treatment of the entrepreneur in the establishing shot when we come back from opening credits. You know, like, I I don't think that they are going for super photorealistic in the way that they Mm -hmm. render Strange New Worlds. Like, it doesn't look like Discovery. It it looks a little bit more heightened and a little bit more illustration-y, I guess. Yeah. I don't know good graphic design terms to, to put on this, but it's not as obsessively photographic as some of the other shows in this new slate of Star Trek. That's right. And yet, when you go from the cel-shaded animation to this, it really catches your attention. Like, okay, we're in a different space. I love the tone that Pike begins his log with because, like, it's not excitement about picking up a time traveler. It's they got a time traveler, and that's going to come with associated problems. Right, yeah. It's like a beat cop that just found out that there's a ton of paperwork he has to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's it exactly. <laughs> Starfleet has procedures for this. You know, They're like remarking about some of his equipment, like the fact that his communicator is built right into his badge. But flipping it opens the best part. I like ours better, too. 
we catch up with Boims, and everybody is weirded out by him because Boims is fanboying out around all of these people. Yeah. The last time I remember experiencing a character quite like this was that TNG episode, A Matter of Time. You remember Berlinghoff Rasmussen? <laughs> like when he showed up on the D, he was also kind of a fanboy, remember? Where I come from, every historian knows the bridge of old 1701D. Is that the Max Headroom guy? Sure is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think they definitely feel similar. I like how this is just like a, a hassle for everybody. Like La'an runs down the temporal protocols, which everybody in Starfleet knows, no matter if you're from this era or 120 years in the future. Right. She has a little editorial addition to this list of rules, which is like, don't nail Jim Kirk <laughs> under any circumstances. Boyd is like, why would I? I mean, Kirk isn't even here. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would be seduced by him. Yeah. He's very seductive. She's like, trust me, you walk silly enough already. If you let him knock it out, you're not going to be walking right for the rest of your life. Really great needle to thread here by La'an in saying a thing without saying it, like contextually saying a thing without yeah. saying it is what she's doing. I like it. It's great. So uh, they park Boimler in the conference room and... He's just admiring the various captain's trinkets. And, I mean, it seems like Pike must be a serious rider. <laughs> yeah. We know what it means to own your own saddle. Anyone who is an experienced rider naturally has his own saddle. It's perfectly normal. The greatest trick is yet to come. To come, to come. I was confused about why Uhura had sort of set up shop in this space. Like... She's in there working. Yeah. I mean, it's bridge adjacent, so maybe that's why she wants to go in there. Because she's working on translating the glyphs on the side of the portal. Yeah. Because they think maybe there will be some key to sending Boimler back through it. Yeah. In there. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, if you're of low rank, your quarters aren't going to be as good as the ready room. Yeah. But she's not a cadet anymore. Like, she has a real bedroom. <laughs> Now. Yeah. This ready room, of course, uh, way more comfortable than any other kind of ready room. A quiet space where you can concentrate mm -hmm. without being yelled at for some reason. I think that's what it is. Like when our, our previous place, I didn't really have a very comfortable home office slash studio set up. And so when I was editing our show, I would often take my laptop to the public library and just like sit in a big open room and, you know, yeah. with, with much higher ceilings and uh, get some focused work done. And uh, maybe that's what Ohura is looking for in here. Yeah. Just old dude looking at porn, old dude looking at porn, guy editing Star Trek podcast, <laughs> old dude looking at porn. <laughs> they interrupt Boimler's interaction with Uhura by radioing him to uh, head down to the planet because they're going to fire up the portal and see if they can uh, send him home. He gets to go down there with uh, Spock. And Spock is experimenting with expressing some emotions. And this freaks Boimler out because Spock going from normal edition Spock to laughing out loud at something and then going back to having no expression on his face is authentically very creepy. 
One detail about this that I think makes it hit so much harder than it ordinarily would is how close you are to Spock when he does this. Like yeah. in frame, we're close up to his face and it like made me push away from the TV. <laughs> I think it would hit a lot different if you were in a two shot or something, but because we're right with him for it, it is shocking. And you're like with Boimler for it. And I think that is a visual language that occurs throughout the episode. You get a lot of POV Boimler. Yeah. And it makes the entire experience feel unusual and unsteady. And as a Frakes episode, especially, I thought I thought the both of us would not be surprised by his visual choices here. But I frequently was yeah. with where he's putting the camera and how he's letting scenes play out. Man, I would love to see a behind-the-scenes featurette about the making of this episode. Hey, nerds, I'm Will Wheaton. Because going from directing animation to directing live action across yeah. one episode has yeah. got to have been a very interesting and specific challenge. Right. And not in any sort of promotional way, just in a way to understand how the production went. I'm saying once the studios agree to pay the fair rate for the actors Absolutely. and writers, yeah. then I would like to see this featurette. Absolutely. Same. So they have to beam up all of a sudden because a Orion ship shows. And uh, so they're not going to be able to fire up the portal and, and send Boimler home before they deal with this. And we get like a shaky cam POV of the bridge of the entrepreneur that really recalled that first look at the bridge that Picard gets in Encounter at Farpoint, which yeah. you know is on my mind because of our recent live show. But uh, I thought that this was very directly a callback to that. Especially with which door he enters from. Yeah. Like to be up in the back, the back left part of the bridge on entry, it sure does feel like that. Oh my God, oh my God, God. I'm on the bridge. It also was, I thought, really well observed the way that Pike is talking about the Orions hitting Boimler as being like, yikes, dude. <laughs> that is not politically correct, the way you're talking about them. In a way that, like, modern past people often hit, right. you know? yeah. Grandma's saying a thing at the Thanksgiving table that has all of the... Uh, Millennials and Gen Zers cringing yeah. is something that we've all experienced. Yeah. White people. Hey, man. White people. And I think it's very funny that Pike is that in this episode. <laughs> Despite all of our discussion of how it's not really fair to paint the Orions all with the same piracy brush, they do steal the portal. They are, at the very minimum, portal pirates. Right. And they warp out of there. Pike... <laughs> Pike is like, cool. So I definitely listened to the right guy about not firing on that Orion ship and trying to be diplomatic about this whole situation. Exactly. Great, 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 great. In the ready room, this meeting with Pike and Una is so interesting because their reaction to Boim's feels like it should be reversed. Right. If Boim's knows everyone's future... Pike is like, why isn't he treating me like I'm about to be in a beeping chair? Why is he treating you that way, Una? Yeah. And Una's like, it's weird as hell. Like something awful must happen to me in the future that he doesn't want to tell me about or isn't comfortable being around me for. And what does it mean? 
I thought this was so interesting. I think I was a little distracted in this episode trying to remember who is and is not read in on Pike's having foreseen his own future. I think Una knows. I think Una and Spock know. Yeah. They both can agree that Boimler is like having a child on the ship. And uh, he's he's like most children on Star Trek. He's just missing the science project with the weird dirt. <laughs> I mean, he's been told in no uncertain terms. And he knows the rules. You're not supposed to tell people stuff about the future. You're not supposed to ask about the battle bridge. No, I'm afraid not. All the way through this episode, he is just a fire hose of little details about the future that are, is... Yeah. A big part of what's making everybody uneasy. I mean, yeah. children, whether they're growing radishes or coming to us from a time portal, do force us to confront our own mortality in ways that mm-hmm. are not always comfortable. Right. But for a guy who is like flagrantly ignoring the regulations about telling people shit about the future as much as he is, maybe they shouldn't let him in the fucking bar. Yeah. I mean, what's going to loosen his lips more than cocktails? (laughs) Or, I guess, chronoton poisoning, which is a great bit that Chapel and Ortegas do on him when they find him in the ship's bar and grill. Yeah. It is great. You just want to make sure you're close to a bathroom. (laughs) What? Turns out Pike's birthday becomes a fucking holiday in the future. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course. Who else gets that? Like, presidents and, and Pike? I guess there's Captain Picard Day. Are Captain Picard and Captain Pike the only holiday captains? Just as all serious riders have their own saddle, all great <laughs> Starfleet captains have their own day, right? <laughs> yeah. Being in Starfleet is a lot like Orthodox Judaism because you like there are so many holidays throughout the year that you get to get out of work from. It's the Jersey retirement problem, though. Like, eventually, every day is a day. Right, yeah. Until there are no days anymore. Yeah, the rafter looks like uh, the closet of, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody chops at a lot of fast fashion places. The rafters look like a plaza in Sayulita. So, yeah, he's encouraging them to do a surprise party for... Pike, and we get another creepy Spock grin that Mm -hmm. freaks Boimler out and gets Boimler convinced that this may be him having already fucked up the timeline. So he grabs Nurse Temple in the hallway and is like, hey, so I'm really worried that I've destroyed Spock and that's really bad because he's acting super weird. And through this conversation, he sort of dumps a glimpse of Spock's future on Chapel that does not seem to include her as a going concern. Like, there are books about Spock in Boimler's timeline. He's read all of them. He's not saying books about Spock and you, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I think so much work is done by, like, the intention here and the intention not to do harm. Like, Boimler doesn't know what he's saying is so hurtful. And the take here by Jess Bush is really amazing. Like, I know. To take this and try to be diplomatic and curious at the same time. It's such a great bit of writing because the subtext of this scene is so far from the text. Like, you have to know these characters to know 
what's going on here. But it's like the ennui of it is devastating. And it's like, it's such a amazing contrast in an episode that is so silly so much of the time to have this, like when Boimler and Chapel are in the elevator together and it is washing over her how much her relationship with Spock is not going to last. It's brutal. It's so fucking, I was choked up a little bit. Yeah, like Jess Bush does more than just like hang tear on her lower eyelids or whatever. Like (laughs) she's able to convey with that expression life experience and the pain of getting what she's wanted finally and knowing that it's not going to last. Like it was just a few episodes ago where they compared their relationship to Schrodinger's cat. What Boimler tells her is that the cat dies soon after this. Right. Yeah. Which is great for their like not having to report it to HR, right? Like Yeah. Or having to take care of a cat. Right. <laughs> well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that you hear. So they get up on the bridge. Boimler does this thing where he has everybody look in the other direction and he programs in through the plugging of various cables under a panel, a way to track the Orion vessel. Don't you love this? Like, (laughs) it's okay to do if you don't see it. Yeah. And then uh, presumably he has to undo it all, right? So that they don't know how he did it. (laughs) Yeah. So they catch up with the Orion vessel. A triticale grain for portal trade is sort of fallen into by... Pike, like Pike wasn't trying to trade this grain, but to get this future guy off his fucking ship, he'll give up almost anything. Yeah. They uh, take him back down to Krolmuth B. They get the portal fired up. There's a very like one-sided goodbye, like Boimler, super, super grateful to have had this experience. And Pike like, all right, well, don't let the portal hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> And that's when Mariner pops in from the other side. (laughs) Which is just like a a perfect Lower Decks joke. Like Mariner thinking she's here to save the day. Yeah. In fact, making matters much worse. We should mention what Boimler and Mariner look like. Like seeing actual Jack Quaid, seeing actual Tawny Newsom here. Yeah. In Lower Decks uniforms, like up to and including the detail of Mariner's sleeves rolled up and and the purple hair that Boimler has. Yeah. They don't look cartoonish. They look like real people. They did such a good job on these uniforms, I thought. Yeah, I think so too. Toward the end of this episode, when they show the lower dexification of all of the Strange New Worlds characters, I think that also is helpful in just the like mental math of if this person looks like this in a cartoon, then then they look like this in real life. Well, didn't it also make you wonder, like, what came first, the casting or the character? Because, right. like, Boimler looks like Jack Quaid, Mariner looks like Tawny Newsom, but when you talk about Rutherford and Tendy, the actors who play those characters look a little less like them right. than Mariner and Boimler do, and what if that wasn't the case for Mariner and Boimler? Yeah, I thought a lot about the fact that they didn't have to come up with a prosthetic makeup solution for Rutherford's headpiece 
by sending sure. him, him into this timeline. Yeah. I mean, Jerry O'Connell doesn't look anything like Ransom. No. So he can't come through the portal. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. So up in the conference room, a McLaughlin group is taking place. Issue one. While Mariner and Boimler are kind of like off in the corner talking about those old scientists. And the Mariner checking out Spock is going to be the Star Trek gift to end all Star Trek gifts, I think. It's great. (laughs) I feel like they think the table is far longer and the distance between them is far greater than actually exists because they are talking openly and loudly. Yeah. It gets very loud indeed. The formerly cartoon characters really have a lot of misapprehensions about how sound travels in three-dimensional space, I think. They also like deliver their dialogue like their cartoon character counterparts. Yeah. Which I wasn't sure how that was going to work, but it it really worked for me. Yeah. They have a problem, which is that heronium, that unusual material that was powering the portal, got all used up when Mariner came through. And heronium is not something that is commonly synthesized anymore. There's none around. So they're going to try making some in the science lab. And meanwhile, Mariner is going to fangirl out with Uhura while they work on trying to translate all the glyphs on the side of the portal. And Mariner puts Boimler forward uh, as a uh, volunteer for working with Spock. Who gets to witness a Spock smile of her own and is shocked by it. (laughs) What the? Spock smiling now? He just doesn't now. Just go with it. It's terrifying. In the hallway, Boimler catches up with Mariner and he's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I'm really worried about Spock and I don't want to get stuck alone in a room with him. I'm worried I'm like screwing up the timeline here. And the greater fear that they both share, which is like they might have to do that thing that Picard talked about in Star Trek First Contact, like pick a place on Gravette Island (laughs) and like start a new life off the grid. Like that's no good. Neither of them want that. No. I thrive on the grid. I require grid. Una walks up and this freaks Boimler out. I think that Jack Quaid deserves some kind of nomination for nailing the Boimler walk away when (laughs) when, uh, this happens. He captured something about the way his character is animated Yeah, (laughs) that is very specific and very funny. I really love that observation because it's not just like, oh boy, I can't wait to hear the Boimler scream in real life. There's like so much more about that character and what they do that makes Boimler Boimler. And this is an example of that. Yeah. So... (laughs) Una wants to know, like, why does Boimler act like that around me? And Mariner, in explaining that Boimler has a poster of her in his bunk, sort of gives Una the impression that this is a horny poster and is a little skeeved out by that. I believe that all hot people know that they're hot. (laughs) And I think that theory holds here, too. Like, Una suspects something horny here Mm -hmm. because she knows she's hot. What other kind of poster could it be besides a pinup poster? But wouldn't you have to pose for, oh, maybe it's something like that uh, episode of Baywatch that we recently watched on the Santa Monica Mountains podcast (laughs) where somebody takes a picture of Shawnee and then it shows up in a fucked up calendar later on and she gets in a ton of trouble for it. Precisely. 
That's what I think is happening here. Sometimes people take pictures of Una and they just are inherently horny pictures. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's not her fault. It's not her fault she's hot. <laughs> Hottest first officer in Starfleet history. She is very worried that Boimler is inappropriately horny for her. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, Mariner goes to, I think this is Uhura's quarters now, right? That they're working yeah. in. It's strewn with materials. Yeah. Uhura is not making a ton of headway. And I don't think it's really helping that Mariner is talking about what Uhura like means to her as a person who can like look back on Uhura's life. Yeah. The pressure kind of is like mounting on Uhura in this moment. I think the easiest comparison here is the Zephram Cochran one, which is like meeting a past person and projecting a bunch of hero shit onto them that they haven't experienced yet for themselves. Right. And I think what made the Zephram Cochran character interesting in First Contact was how willing he was to reject that. I gotta take a leak. I think it may have to do with the youth of the hero figures involved here. Like, Uhura is young and mentions her own youth in this conversation. And what a weird thing it must be to, like, hear that your reputation is secure. Like, if I told you, Ben, that, like, your life was going to be a good one, and by the end of it, people would hold you in high esteem and you would be sort of legendary and you were going to be okay. There's something really powerful about that. And it doesn't quite hit in scenes like this. And I think it's because Uhura is too young, maybe, to have it hit that way. Yeah. She has her whole life ahead of her still. The way that it kind of clanged off of Cochran was like he had an entire life experience that was in conflict with the legend that he was being told about. But the youth of the crew of the Enterprise here doesn't have that yet. They're all ambitious and they're all on the flagship. Like they're all yeah. on the first step of their legendary careers. Yeah. And Zephram Cochran had his own kind of ambition, but he also just wanted to like drink and listen to Ubi Doobie in peace. Right. I'll be sure to note that in my log. So we cut to the bar and grill. Mariner has taken Uhura there because everyone seems to be in agreement that Uhura needs a break. <laughs> She's just too hard of a worker. She needs to loosen up a little bit. Sometimes your best work can come during a rest period. Absolutely. And Mariner is behind the bar making Orion cocktails for Ortegas and her. But God damn it. Uhura, she can't stop working. She's working on a pad underneath the bar. Right. It's like how I've been kind of like idly working on the New York Times crossword puzzle this entire time we've been recording together. Yeah. Every time it's my turn to speak, I see where your attention goes. Uh-huh. Hey, uh-huh. Cheetahs don't deserve nothing in Latin. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden 
isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look, why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history 
will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyage we have begun. The greatest trick. Uhura absolutely pounds her drink. Like, it's clear this may be real alcohol. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is the good stuff. Although Mariner has apologized that she had to substitute something for the base spirit, which is an Orion Sclusi uh, that yeah. they don't carry on board the entrepreneur. Honestly, for the best, that stuff will mess you up, truly ruin your life. This is like that Hawaiian liqueur that I got us years ago. <laughs> oh, like yeah. You can only get it there. Yeah. That stuff was good. It was. This does lead to a breakthrough because Ortegas recognizes some of these portal glyphs as ancient Nausicaan. She saw them on a Domjot set. We don't ever see those glyphs, though, and I wish we did. Like it, It's just like a bunch of balls and a cue <laughs> and like a knife sticking through a chest from behind. Oh. <laughs> An awkward morning after. Yeah, yeah. That's Domjot, right? That That's really, the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Man, what was the Picard's lady friend name in the play Domjot Human episode? Oh, God, she's great. She's great, but was also not age appropriate for him. Well, I'm not, I'm not complaining or anything. She's got like Boof from Teen Wolf vibes. We are obviously talking about J.C. Brandy as Marta Batanides. Batanides, damn. Batanides, right on the tip of my tongue. Boof Batanides is a nickname that she should have had, right? The tip of my tongue, the lips, Batanides. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How could we forget? We warm up before we record every day. (laughs) (laughs) If there was a league of Damja, you know how sports leagues have the logo? Like the NBA has like the logo of Jerry West, like dribbling. Right. And Major League Baseball has the logo of like the batter, like the, the red and the blue and the white and the box. Right. Do you think the logo for Damja is like, Picard in profile with like a knife sticking out of his chest after being stabbed from behind. Yeah, I do think that that uh, embroidered patch is on its way to podshop.biz. Good, good, because that's ours. Yeah. Podshop.biz? It's either that or Batanides and Picard laying in bed awkwardly together Mm -hmm. after a night of mid-sex. Right. We also have the Lose It With Batanides uh, t-shirt available in podshop.biz. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so not loving that Boehm's told all of this stuff to Chapel is Lieutenant Spock, who is in the material synthesis lab with Boimler. Yeah. They're doing some like very high-stakes science that Spock has said, if it goes wrong, would blow the ship apart. Kind of seems like there's an outbreak spinner there, too. It really does. And like maybe not the time you pick to redress some... Some social grievances with someone. That's <laughs> when you're yeah. handling the incredibly fissile materials. I feel like Spock can handle a tough conversation and science at the same time. The guy's got it together. But Boimler cannot. Boimler can't even yeah, handle true. the science without the tough conversation. Yeah. The risk of this seems too great. Spock refers to it as a coin flip. Yeah. Whether or not this thing's going to explode or not. I find myself curious. About chance. The math of it being just a coin flip made me understand that those screams are 100% going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
when things spark and explode, we get what we came here for yeah. out of Boimler. <laughs> Boimler pays off big time. The scream screams. And mm-hmm. what did you think of this edit here? Because like, there's like a, what have we done? This didn't work. It's, it's all hopeless moment with Boimler. And it is a very jarring, in my mind, cut to the scene between him and Pelia. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the same. I thought the entire visual language of the episode was uncomfortable. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. This cut felt like in a less capable director's hands would feel so unmotivated as to seem random and Mm -hmm. inserted for no good reason. And I suppose you could make the case that it is. Like, it doesn't bear a ton on the rest of the episode, but it is like wisdom from the ancients that Pelia is often brought in to provide. Right. And yeah. that's sort of what she's here to do by dropping a Cary Grant quote on Boimler. And what a great Cary Grant quote. Yeah. Like, God, that guy said some great things. Mm, there's this one guy I remember. He said to me, I always pretended to be someone I wanted to be until finally I became that someone or he became me. It's rhetorical nonsense. Do you think there was a moment they toyed with the idea of a Gregory Peck Mm. quote? Oh yeah, probably. (laughs) That would have broken Star Trek, broken the internet, broken all of it. Yeah, yeah. Visible objects are but as pasteboard masks. That's too far. This leads to him heading down to a shuttle, and he's like flashlighting around in this shuttle, and uh, Mariner jump scares him by having somehow predicted that he would be in that shuttle and gone there before him. This is as impressive as it is to watch someone blown out of a warp nacelle, frozen in space, and dying. Like, to be inside a shuttle while other shuttle shit happens out the window? Yeah. Totally breathtaking. Every time they did this in TNG, every time we were inside a shuttle in TNG within the ship, it was in a obviously empty room that nothing else was going on in. And in this, like, they're ducking under the windowsills because other shuttles are taking off. Like... The business of the shuttle bay continues apace. Like there's there's shuttle stuff happening that it has nothing to do with the plot yeah. all the time on The Entrepreneur. I like that this is their safe space and it always has been too. Yeah, yeah. Lower decks are always going to go regroup down in the shuttle bay. Yeah. So they're talking about, you know, what can they do? And Boimler has, you know, spent the entire episode wanting to get back to the future. And now he's kind of, realize that he's causing enough damage without taking his own needs into account. So he's going to try and get that grain back from the Orions by sending a message from the shuttle and try to fix the problems he's caused in the TOS era. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of reached the acceptance phase of time travel. Like, (laughs) if he's going to remain here, he might as well try to do some good. Except for as soon as he comes to this, La'an has them at phaser point. Yeah. So it's unclear how successful he was able to be in this moment. When they are brought before Pike to answer for the crime of 
sending rogue messages off of this shuttle's communication system. It's not just that that they're in trouble for. They're also in trouble for having encouraged the crew to throw Pike a surprise party. Yeah, which is the greater crime? (laughs) (laughs) Is what will be adjudicated from here until the end of the episode. I don't think it's a crime per se to throw somebody a surprise party, but you got to know your audience. Like, my wife, the best person in the world to throw a surprise party for, because she will be delighted. It will be such a wonderful surprise for her to walk into a room full of the people she loves. Oh, yeah. I, on the other hand, I'm the worst person to throw a surprise party for. Like, I treat a surprise party like surprise-free barbecue. It sounds good, but it's not. I want to prepare my body for a thing like that. You want to prepare for a surprise, right. is what you're saying. Thus negating the surprise. Right. Surprise-free barbecue? Like, what if I had a peanut butter sandwich five minutes ago? Yeah. Now I can't eat that much barbecue. Yeah. Surprise party? Like, I so, oh, suddenly I have to socialize with all of my loved ones? Surprise, motherfucker. I need time to collect myself before something like that. How about this direction that Pike takes the conversation? Because it goes from surprise party to the discomfort that he feels around time travelers. And like Mariner and Boimler kind of wince thinking that they're going to get a beeping chair story. Yeah. But no, that's not it at all. It's a wistful dead dad story. I was shocked by this. Yeah. Because like Boimler's trying to be like, you know, you don't know how many birthdays you're gonna have where you're not beeping at everyone i mean what an incredible elegant way for boimler to put it like sometimes he trips and falls into a really profound sentiment and i think he did that in this scene yeah pike's father with whom he did not have a great relationship passed away a while ago and this is going to be pike's first birthday that makes him older than his father was when he passed and He is just having a lot of very specific to this birthday feelings about this birthday and not necessarily wanting it to be a big fun festivity in the way that Boimler and Mariner had been advocating for. How about Boimler's film paper here? He's like, you know how you wish you could go fishing with your dead dad or whatever? Well, what if you, dead dad, and crew is you? On your birthday, <laughs> etc. Could you put the Forrest Gump theme under that? <laughs> under that description too. Thank you. The greatest trick. This is a, a little bit like the moment in the bar with Uhura because this leads to inspiration coming from an unexpected place, and we smash cut to a. McLaughlin Group. Issue two. Where they're talking about the Enterprise NX-01, and Boimler's about to launch into a limerick here hmm? that gets cut off. Or you could just get to the point. I actually, I didn't tell you this ahead of time, Adam. I did get an early draft of the script for this episode where they left the limerick in. Oh, boy. Do you want to hear this? Yes. Archer was a starship captain whose phasers could barely get zapping. He tried to explore, but fought Zindi in war. And now his ship's just for scrapping. I like it. I like it a lot. The upshot of that is that there's a piece of the NX-01 somewhere in the ship. And that's because the tradition is you start building 
the next ship in the line with a piece of the old one. I love this. The Enterprise Grandpa has a piece of the Enterprise F in it. Yeah, sure does. No word on it if it's the left part of the drive section or the right part. It's Admiral Shelby's femur. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) You are ambitious, aren't you, Shelby? Oh, it's got to be part of the ship, not a part of the previous crew. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they lucked out that it wasn't like, you know, the cremains of Porthos, and it was in fact a piece of Heronium in this context because... uh, Yeah, they got lucky there. Yeah, there is some Heronium here in the system, and it's built right into the ship. They pull up a a bit of floor panel in uh, engineering, much to Pelia's chagrin, and they pull this scrap of the NX-01 out, and it's going to be enough for them to repower the portal and send our time travelers home. Don't you just love the sound design of science being done in this era of Star Trek? I think they started doing this in Discovery where when you order food from the food thing, the the microwave ding happens. You get that same microwave ding when science is done in this scene. It's great. Yeah, it's definitely like there's like a solenoid hitting a a physical bell to let you know it's done. It's not a synthesized tone. Were I to use an audible text message tone on my phone, Mm -hmm. which I never would do, which I never have done, this would be a good one. Do you think that Pike is a little jealous of this when he gets to beeping chair era? Like he's got a <laughs> he's got a synthetic beep and he'd rather have like a nice cheerful bell noise. What's that mean? That means yes, yes is a bell, no is no bell. He'd want an analog, like a classic, <laughs> classic ding. <laughs> That's what he'd like. Dinging chair, way better than beeping chair. Really is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's time to beam down. to uh, send our time travelers home, but not before they get to check out with Una in the transporter bay. And just let her know, she's not a pinup model in the future. Boimler has almost never jacked it to her. Yeah. Is this true? Uh, Yes, sir. Number one, sir. Uh... I mean, and when he has, it's largely through use of his imagination, not the poster itself. Exactly, yeah. You don't want to wreck that poster. Just because somebody is conventionally attractive doesn't make their image inherently horny. That's a really fucked up social trip to put on someone's head. This moment when Spock lap fingers Boimler here, that's a bit, right? <laughs> Spock knows exactly what he's doing. It seemed like Spock was a little, like, kind of struggling to get it out, you know? <laughs> I don't know. It kind of felt like he knew that he would wreck Boimler's mind yeah, with that. Yeah. Great moment. He picks his moment really perfectly so that the transporter goes right as this is washing over Boimler. They arrive back on the surface of Krolmuth B to find the Orion captain and a couple of armed guards hanging out with the portal, justifiably irritated by how much of their day has been wasted by all these portal shenanigans. There's such a posture to soldiers at rest. I really love this establishing shot of them just chilling at the portal. Yeah, yeah. Like drinking from a canteen or something. (laughs) This is a great Pike diplomacy moment because he's like, hey, man, like we really need that grain back. Like that was for colonists that we are trying to take care of. But you're going to get something great if you let us use this portal and give us back that grain, which is, as far as history is concerned, Y'all were the old scientists. 
that uh, discovered this thing. This Orion captain is moved by this. That's all I've ever wanted. Not moved enough to fuck. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like take his pants off or anything. It just means a lot to him. It does give him some satisfaction in a different way right? than his people are used to. So uh, with it arranged that uh, history will remember the Orions for discovering this, our heroes go back through the portal, meet back up with Rutherford and Tendi, and we spend a little bit of time on the Cerritos as they, uh, you know, kind of recap the adventure that they've been on and we get to see the, the, the poster of Una and uh, Ransom walks by, you know, making it clear that he probably has also jacked off to that poster. Ransom just looking absolutely jacked in this scene. <laughs> it's not that Jerry O'Connell doesn't look like Ransom. It's that Jerry O'Connell isn't as jacked as Ransom. Yeah. He'd have to wear like a Batman bodysuit. You know, probably they didn't send Ransom through the portal also because then they would have gotten like a cease and desist from the people that own the rights to sliders. Right. <laughs> it's subtle. Yeah. That's a little too close for comfort, right? Way too close. Can't have it. So uh, we get a little coda and this is back on The Entrepreneur, but now it is animated in the Lower deck style and it's a big hang with the whole crew in Pike's quarters. I thought that they sort of did Pike dirty with the hair in the character design here. Because it's not big enough? It's not big enough for me. Like, yeah, it's, it seems like they made it littler in the animated design when they should have gone bigger. It should have been more intensely bouffanted. Yeah, I thought the same. It, it feels like a gift for all of these characters and actors to get like real Lower Decks versions of themselves. Yeah. But of all of the versions... It's unusual to think that that one might be the weakest. Yeah. Just lean into the Johnny Bravo of it all. Yeah. Who's that handsome guy? And I think that this would have been perfect. Have you ever had a cocktail that made you feel like you existed in two dimensions? <laughs> because I love that that is what's going on here. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not that they're cartoons, it's that they feel like they're cartoons. I think that probably like the third hoof at STLV yeah. will get me there. We're going to be drinking a lot of hoofs at STLV with no official business being done. <laughs> no promotion. I don't even know if any actors are still planning on going to STLV at this point, but you got like an email from the STLV people saying like, do not attempt to even talk to actors <laughs> while you're there. Yeah. I got really strike-splained by some people at Creation. Yeah. It's really setting a great tone for our attendance. Who were being like weird dicks to you in the email too? <laughs> yeah. It's been really fun. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. Anyways, they're getting hammered. Spock's arms are going all noodly. What's he going to do with those noodle arms later? Mm. <laughs> Nurse Chapel is wondering. And Benga gets uh, a great final line of the episode. What the hell is in these things? Adding to the amazing one-liners that Mbenga has had over the course of this series. He's had a great run. Mbenga, one of the great bright lights of Strange New Worlds. Just someone I associate with positivity at all times. Yeah. And that's never going to change. No. But did this episode change the way you feel, Adam? Did you like this episode? Before we watched it, I was fully expecting 
the sort of episode that doesn't really exist, right? Like we get a fantasy episode that by the end undoes itself. Right. And it was all a dream <laughs> in Lower Decks magazine or whatever. <laughs> and I'm surprised and delighted that it actually happened. Yeah. It actually happened and it was real. And more than that, like there were some serious parts of this story that made me think about what it's like to live in Star Trek and observe all of the heroes through time in Miriam that have existed there. Like that conversation in the bar and grill between Ortegas and Chapel and Boimler that kind of went like the grass is always greener on the other side of the time portal. Like they were as interested in his deal as he was in theirs. And wouldn't it always be that way with time travel? There's always going to be that tension of like, no, your life is cool. I mean, my life is fine, but tell me about your life. Like, right. I thought that was, that was really neat to see that depicted. Yeah. I love the, I love the moment in engineering where the, Enterprise crew are talking about how much they admire the NX-01 Enterprise crew and realizing mm -hmm. that this is not something that is unique about the Lower Decks characters, but yeah. there is a, a continuity of history in the Star Trek mm -hmm. universe that's really cool and, and interesting. And how time travel supersedes rank, <laughs> I thought was interesting here too. Yeah. Boimler is the lowest of the low, and yet his future knowledge gives him rank equivalents almost. It gets him into rooms and places and decisions that he'd never ordinarily be in. And I thought that was an interesting through line to this episode also. What about you, Ben? The stakes could not have been higher. I think these are the two series of New Trek that are closest and dearest to me as a viewer. And I think it would have been very easy to do this in a way that was light that didn't mm -hmm. have many implications for either series that didn't quite deliver on the promise of the premise. But I thought this really did. I think this could easily, I mean, aside from runtime could easily be an episode that they had put in the middle of a season of lower decks, you know? Yeah. Like it, it felt as much like a lower decks episode as a strange new world episode. It, hit in the ways that Strange New Worlds hits and also hit in the ways that Lower Decks hits. And, yeah, you know, I was thinking about how when you were saying the thing about it having been a it was all a dream kind of episode, like, I think that that is something that Strange New Worlds pretty categorically refuses to do with its characters. Like the episode where La'an falls in love with Kirk back in Toronto, of the near future, not the far future, you know, for all intents and purposes didn't happen, right? Like the, the like effects of that time travel did not ripple through history. They did the mission and restored balance to the timeline. And yet the emotional truth of that episode is still with La'an, you know, like even if an episode didn't actually happen, it happened to the characters that experienced it in Strange New Worlds. Exactly. This is not like uh, that episode of TNG where Geordi gets like captured by the Romulans and systematically tortured the entire episode. And at the end, they're talking about how it's going to be months of hard work and therapy to rebuild his life. Uh, <laughs> and you never hear about it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. like 
for a series that is as like episodic as this one is, they they do a great job of also treating the characters' experiences as sources of through line. And I thought the jokes really worked. I thought the feelings felt really seriously in this episode. And I couldn't give it higher marks. I thought this was great. I thought so too. I think something I want to do during the strike is be very specific about the creative minds involved in something like this. Like this was an impeccably written episode and it was written in a way that could not be done by a computer. Like given the stakes, given the character's pasts, that scene with Chapel and Boimler, you don't get that depth of feeling with a CG character. No. That is just Bush summoning something within herself to make those feelings possible. And when you combine writer and performer in the way that you get here, you get real stakes and real feelings and real meaning. And and those people deserve to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle Yeah, if that's the kind of work that they're doing. When TV is great, it is great for that combination. Very well said, Adam. Do you want to see if there's anything well said in our Priority One inbox? Oh, yeah. I'm headed that way. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Kevin. Uh-oh. And it is to you and me. That message goes like this. Adam and Ben, both of your podcasts helped me make it through the past three years of stocking grocery shelves at 6 a.m. Whoa. Hey, I used to do that job. It turns out that the exact inverse frequency of my own internal screaming is dick and fart jokes about Trek. <laughs> Kevin, I used to stock uh, the chemicals in the in the grocery store. So like the detergents, Oof. the aisle that, that did uh, like bleach, laundry detergent, dryer sheets, all those smells. That used to be pretty bad. I yeah. didn't like that job. No. But it did get me out... And on my way home at like 10 or 11 in the morning, like my shift was done early. Yeah. That's nice. Anyway, question from Kevin. How would you like Kira to come back, not counting her lower decks appearance? Thanks and hope to see you at the Cincy live show. Ooh. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> at this moment in time, it's not looking like Cincy is going to be a thing yeah. in spite of great, great effort. I just want to say, like, why that happened. We yeah. had a show booked. The promoter did not get us ticket links in time for the announcement, which is why, like, the announcement went out with Cincy on the list. We were, like, you know, expecting it the next day. They went an entire week without getting back to us. and Like, no communication. Yeah, we talked it over with our booking agent, and we were like, if this promoter can't get the ticket link together, like, how can we show up with any confidence that we will be able to put on a show at the quality that we want to be able to put on in a place that feels comfortable and safe to do it? Like, if they're, if they're failing at the most basic thing... It just doesn't bode well for the quality of the show. So as of this recording, we are working really hard to try and get another thing booked for that date. It's probably not going to be in Cincinnati just based on the fact that that went so badly the first time we tried it. But sorry, Kevin, we, we felt really bad that uh, it got bungled the way it got bungled. Yeah, and sorry that it was kind of a tease. I think we learned something there too is to like not announce until it's a total stone cold lock. Yeah. So sorry for giving you hope. 
But uh, to answer your question, I would love Kira to come back. I It's hard for me to, I guess that would have happened in Star Trek Picard. That's the only show that's kind of in the right era, aside from Lower Decks, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I really hope that they find a way to bring her back in, in some capacity, because Nana Visitor, one of the great all-time Star Trek performers, and yeah, it's a shame that, uh, I'd say it's a shame that DS9 overall has gotten as few nods from the new Trek things as it has. Like, it feels like Voyager's getting the love and TNG is getting the love. And I mean, TOS is just getting its knob absolutely slobbered at all times in a way that I'm like a little over, frankly. Yeah. But uh, give give DS9 some shine. Yeah, I think it's time. It's time for that. They broke an entire first episode of DS9 in that movie that Iris Stephen Bear made about what a great guy he is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was what that movie was about, huh? (laughs) Adam, our next Priority One message is from the Gherkin Merkin, flap, flap, and it's to Ben and Adam. Goes like this. Gherkins between legs, nestled softly against groin, pickle juice on pubes. A haiku and some scarves in gratitude for the years of entertainment. Too much trouble to request a DMA drop? Come on! DMA! Cause if I want it, I got it, come again, it's damaged, it's with it, it's crashing, it moves into planets, baby. Birds have died. What does this thing want? What does this thing want? D-M-A. Thanks for all you do. Love you folks. <laughs> See you in Minneapolis in a couple of months. Wow. <laughs> we had a limerick and a haiku in this episode, <laughs> The DMA drop made me so nervous to make because like, for me to do a rap at you <laughs> feels like a lot of pressure. Oh, DMA drop, one of the all-time great drops that we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Seriously. Well, thank you to Kevin and the Gherkin Merkin for getting P1s. If you'd like a P1, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and arrange one today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Boimler. I think that Boimler being the character that is the biggest and silliest in the group in Lower Decks makes it an especially high bar to clear to translate some of that silliness to real life and... I haven't spent a ton of time with Jack Quaid's work outside of his work on Lower Decks. I tried and failed to uh, watch that show he does on Amazon, The Boys. Uh, I didn't really care for the vibes of that show, despite liking a lot of the cast. I love the show and he's great in it. I will say that. But I think uh, he did a great job. I definitely encourage people to stick around after the credits on this episode because uh, they go back to live action and we do get the Boimler gape. With Jack Quaid, you know, in the flesh, spreading it. It's just great. It's, uh, you know, like all the way up and down. I thought he he really nailed this character. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be my Edward Larkin. And, you know, like Edward Larkin's a scientist, man. He's doing tons of science in this episode. Yeah, he really is. I mean, you know what? I'm giving it to Tawny Newsom as Mariner as well, because she she like comes up with an alt on that cocktail. 
Like, yeah. what's more Edward Larkin-y than like, oh, we don't have this specific liquor that is only made by Orions, so I'm going to mix a couple of things and see if I can come up with a substitution. Yeah. Yeah, both of them. They both get it. I can't argue with that. What other time are we going to get a chance to give Larkins to Lower Decks characters on a show that isn't Lower Decks? Yeah. And also, not half portions for each. One full portion (laughs) of Edward Larkin for both Beckett Mariner and Boimler. Yeah. Like a scallop. Really, really great stuff. And so fun to see them get to... uh, pull these characters out of the recording booth and uh, in front of the camera. You know who pulled this episode out of the recording booth and into the edit? The great Wendy Pretty. Our hero. Our hero and producer, Wendy Pretty, who is working over the weekend along with us to make this one possible for FODs everywhere. Thanks, Wendy. Everybody, uh, if you see Wendy online, day this comes out, give her a shout because uh, she deserves it. If you see her at Star Trek Las Vegas, a place we will be doing nothing official, make sure she's got a drink in her hand. Yeah. Make sure she's heard something kind in her ear. She's one of the greats. Don't let her go unhooved. How about new? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Adam, we got one last segment we do on this show before we go. Oh, I almost forgot. This is, of course, a segment where we... Uh, Give our appreciation for folks who uh, talk about the show online, help spread the word by leaving nice reviews or talking on social media about what they like about Greatest Trek. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, I'm going to go ahead and pick the one at the top of the list. Sure. The Twitter account is the Stuck Duck. That message goes like this. I will always love TGG and TGT. Two silly but insightful Star Trek podcasts with all the dick jokes and really interesting film technique tidbits crammed in. My parasocial big brothers got me through some of the worst times in my life. It always makes me laugh. Ah, that is so nice. Thank you, Stuck Duck. <laughs> I mean, I feel it feels like that for us, you know? Yeah, I think that is my feeling as well. It helps me in the same way, and I'm glad it's doing anything for anyone else. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who leaves a nice review or talks about the show online. We really appreciate it. And now, without any further ado, let's throw the episode over to Wendy so she doesn't have any more audio to edit today. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. On Friday this week, Ben and Adam will be back with a review of Season 2, Episode 8 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's called Under the Cloak of War. Captain Pike and his crew welcome a Klingon defector aboard the USS Enterprise, but his presence triggers the revelation of some shocking secrets. All of the original music for the show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore created the show art, and Bill Tilly manages the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon, and now Threads. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag GreatestTrek when you talk about the show online. Thank you to the MaxFun members who are keeping this podcast going with their monthly support. You can become a member and get instant access to all of the great bonus content the network has to offer at MaximumFun.org slash join. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you later this week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.